0: Welcome to the Israel Bible Podcast. My name is Cindy Parker. I am an author, a speaker, and the professor of Holy Land Studies at the Israel Bible Center. I am passionate about reading the Bible in the physical, historical, and cultural context of its day. But what I really love is having geeky conversations with people about new things. In this podcast, I invite you to join me as I sit down each week with other faculty members of IBC to discover new aspects of the Bible. These are some of my favorite dialogues because, as a modern audience reading an ancient text, we know that the Bible does not need to be rewritten, but it needs to be reread. This week I am joined by Dr. Ellie Lizorkin eisenberg our fearless leader at IBC, and we are going to talk about his course, The Story of Our Hebrew Fathers, Joseph's Story. This is actually the third course in a series on our Hebrew fathers, so at some point we have to circle back around to parts one and two. In the introduction to his course on Joseph's story, Dr. Lazorkin Eisenberg says it is one of the most moving and powerful stories in the Hebrew Bible. Wow, that is an amazing claim. I mean, you can take 20 seconds and think of other dramatic narratives. So I have to start by simply asking Dr. Ellie why he thinks the Joseph story is so powerful.
1: glad that you said so uh you you said that i said it meaningly that it was for me and maybe i should have clarified that for me as i worked through the course uh you know there's uh, the, the stories of the hebrew fathers one and two and three and um uh the story of joseph the hebrew story of joseph is that third course in the series of the hebrew fathers as I as I began to really dive into this it just made me cry so many times and it could be that that particular story is no more emotional and moving but because of the kind of things I was going on in my own personal life that in some way I felt a greater amount of connection with Joseph Maybe sometimes with Jacob, too. But I I think we all connect with different characters. But So for me, I don't know if it really is one of the most emotional stories in the Bible, but it certainly is the most emotional story for me. Look, I was recently talking with someone, and as all of us kind of mourn the passing of the text into the sort of, you know, YouTube and TikTok and whatever... It will be the thing to come, generation. We realize more and more that it's unbelievable because when you read a story, you are the interpreter. You, your brain, and your social location, and your history, and your all of those things—they make they are engaging with the whatever text the original author wrote, and then. It's almost like you're becoming a co-author, right? Because it's not a movie, you see. In the movie, this is done. They have interpreted this already for you. But it's nowhere close to how things are in the text. Because when things are in the text, your brain is is just imagining things. And basically, I'm not going to disclose exactly what I was going through in my life at that time, but I have uh, affiliated together with Jacob, but more so even with Joseph, even more so. I don't know if you picked this up in the book or not, but I have a bit of a strange view of Joseph. Now, I'll tell you first a joke about this, uh, not about this, (laughs) about something else, because I think there's almost, uh, there is a joke out there, a great joke that will help us to remember things almost about everything. So one of it is this boy is sitting in the Sunday school and the teacher says, now who can tell us children, what is it? It's black color, it's got two legs, it's got two wings. It says car, car in the colder times of the fall. what What is it? So one boy raises up his hand and he says, excuse me, ma'am. Um, I know that the answer is Jesus, but I think it's just a raven. You know, and I felt a little bit, I felt like a little bit about, as I read Joseph, right? As I read Joseph's story, I'm thinking, I know the right answer is Jesus because from, I mean, I don't know there is that there is even one Christian out there somewhere that was not taught sooner or later that Joseph is a is a type of yes. Jesus, right?
0: I am that one person. What? What? It's true. There are people are like this. Yeah, no, I had never ever heard that before. Really? I don't <laughs> yeah. know.
1: Or, or, or it could be that I grew up in a particular kind of
0: thing. That, so,
1: anyway, so I'm glad to hear there's some fellow heretics out there. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, the, but the whole point about Joseph being the sort of the prefigurement or type of Jesus is, of course, connected with the, you know, unjust suffering that Joseph have went through. Yeah, he was a spoiled brat, but you don't go to uh, 20-something year slavery to another country for that. You know, you don't. You just take your computer, you have your computer taken away or cell phone for a month, <laughs> but you don't get something like this. So things happen to Joseph that are that are, not, are unfair. And I think that when people begin to talk that Joseph is a type of Christ, this is what they connect to, usually. They connect to Jesus's undeserved suffering on the cross of Calvary. And so Joseph is also in that way. Now, and it could be that you could say that Joseph is a type of Christ in some way, but not in every way, because first of all, Jesus was never a spoiled brat. Joseph is bragging to his parents. Maybe he's not bragging. Maybe he's just, uh, as any teenager, too self-absorbed. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I was 14, 15 years old, I just stood in front of a mirror and just, back when I had hair, did it this way and that way, and I would change it this clothes and this leather jacket and that leather jacket. And when I would pretend that I'm playing guitar or, you know, I mean, people do that. And maybe this is really what's happening is, look, Joseph saw these dreams that were most incredible, unbelievable dreams where his family members are bowing down in some kind of, you know, I mean, represented uh, by something else, but they're still somehow subservient to, to, to them and providing that you think those dreams are somehow from uh, from above then yeah you'll be thinking oh my don't i look great before the mirror today but then when you get to joseph getting to to power you will see, you actually see cold I'm going to say cold-blooded, but he, there is no blood on his hands. But you do see cold, calculating, revengeful, uh, exploitator. Now, that veneer is eventually broken through, through the repentance and action proving this repentance by Judah. But perhaps I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself.
0: So in other words, in the course that you teach, Are you actually going through the process of disentangling the idea that Joseph is a prefigurement of Jesus? No,
1: not really. I mean, I don't, I don't really have that um, that beef, that fish to fry. I have a a bigger fish to fry uh, than that. But it's funny because I, I realized that no, he's not a prefigurement of Jesus. And those of you who are thinking, "Oh, what a terrible thing I just said," I challenge you to find even one. New Testament verse, where New Testament author thinks that Joseph is a prefigurement of Jesus. So so at least there, we could be on an equal footing and say, okay, if they didn't pick up on it, maybe uh, maybe Eli is right also. But in any ways, what, the problem with this prefigurement business is that When you've got a hammer in your hand, it's a beautiful quotation. I don't know who said it, but when you got a hammer in your hand, after a while, everything begins to look like a nail. So now, back to this issue of Joseph. The problem with this type of Christ this and type of Christ this is that you actually end up concentrating on the wrong thing. Now, there's nothing bad or wrong with concentrating on Christ, uh, from every page of Scripture, it's true that you can find Christ either as prophet, either as priest, either as king. But it doesn't mean that you need to be like that kid in uh, Sunday school. You know, I know that this, this is Jesus, but it certainly sounds like a raven. So, so basically, when people are preoccupied looking for Jesus in places where it is totally not obviously the intention of the author. Or not have an intention of a God inspired interpreter in the New Testament, you know, it becomes questionable. And so, what happens when you concentrate on something that the scripture didn't mean for you to concentrate on? You actually are missing out on what the original author wanted to highlight.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. No, Absolutely. And,
1: and in the end, this is why it is so important for people to read not only the conservative commentators. It's good to read conservative commentators. Conservative commentators have uh, generally a high view of scripture, it's called. But at the same time, those uh, the quote-unquote liberal commentators uh, from a Christian tradition I'm talking about would very often, because they don't have the
0: concerns
1: that the conservative commentators have,
0: And I think that's one of the helpful things about your course is you very consistently bring up the Hebrew and just walk the participants in the course through. Like, let's actually look at the words on the page and let's just focus on those. And sometimes we need that grounding back to, but does the text actually say these things, which is always so helpful. When we think of the very beginning of the story of Joseph and we meet him as a young teenager what do we see like there's an interesting link between Jacob and Joseph right i mean Joseph is a little bit of a scoundrel like Jacob well, or or not what?
1: let's go ahead and just rewind the tape just a little bit because i know that i called the book the hebrew story of Joseph i know that the course is called the Hebrew story of Joseph, the uh, the story, story of our, of our
0: Hebrew, Hebrew fathers
1: three, where we deal with this. I know that this is a, this is uh, this is what's going on, but I think if you take the story of Hebrew fathers one and two, you realize that my argument is that this is a wrong name. It is a the story of Joseph is not a story about Joseph. How so? Let me explain. I really do think that a better name for the story of Joseph should be the story of Jacob's kids. Really that's the that, the whole thing is really is not about Joseph although it's about Joseph, right? It's the Joseph is sort of this sort of historical narrative that's happening and then around that there is different things that are going on that together are while Joseph is in jail, while this is happening, while it's this long years that he's he's suffering through, at the same time, the, the really big things are happening. Probably the best example for this is as we go through this so-called Joseph story, we stumble on this really, really, really weird, you know, what I'm going to talk
0: about. I uh, hope right so. Here, I and hope you're going where God, I
1: want you to go. <laughs> I don't know if you want me to go there or not, but I'm, th- I'm thinking, and a lot of people found this fascinating, is that the story of Joseph, as if somebody was writing it, then got sidetracked, it, sidetracked, inserted something else, started writing a completely different story, and then said, I, th- I better get back to what I'm talking about and just pick up the story of Joseph in completely seemingly to us unrelated way, because you read the story of Joseph, then all of a sudden you read about something completely different as if it doesn't belong. Now, the question in which way? Of course, what is the story? Those of you who, who, who can't immediately connect, that's the story of
0: Judah, He's I was going to say the story of Tamar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like how we choose the the significant story, right? I like I think it's about Tamar, but it is also it's about Judah. I sometimes make it about her because people ignore her or yeah. they turn her into a character that she's not. But the character transformation that we see is not in her, but in Judah.
1: It's in Judah, exactly. And in the end, this is how, well, why don't we tell? I mean, you want to tell? You go ahead. I get to ask you a question. So, Dr. Parker, what's happening in that story? What is Tamar's story all about?
0: Tell us. This is where doctor Lazorkin, and Luzorkin-Eisenberg and I go off down a rabbit hole, We have totally different details of the story we like to highlight or really think about. So we argued our way through Tamar's story. You can find it in Genesis 38. For now, I am just going to fast forward until we get to the end of the story. So then, of course, she presents the evidence that it was it is his child. And he claims she is more righteous than I.
1: And I would say that this is our translation even though it it, it does kind of says that that he is more righteous than I. but I think the meaning of this is that she in this instance she's righteous and I'm not. If you take the context of the story, what he's saying is that she's right about this and I'm wrong about this. This is the breaking point for Judah. This is when Judah, is going to uh, he he keeps going down 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 like this and he starts going up he did not defend he's well he sort of defended his brother but obviously he could have done a lot a lot better than that the point is when they discovered that their younger brother was kidnapped they did not go after him to fight for him to try to bring him back Okay, something that Abraham did for his nephew Lot, right? So Abraham was that brother's keeper and the brothers were not the brother's keeper. This is what eventually leads Joseph to test his brothers so badly, to be so incredibly harsh with them about his demand, throwing his brother uh, Simeon, to the dungeon for who knows how much time I, I mean I don't I'm not sure it's it, it, but it's a long period of time. the guy is not having not having a good time in prison and Joseph is okay with that. you know he's torturing his brother. Now of course he picked the brother whose name is to hear Shimeon Lishmoah. It's the same thing that we read in the story that Joseph was crying out from the pit and the brothers would not hear him. So what he's doing, he is in a very cold way. He's orchestrating a complete disturbance. He's orchestrating a full chaos out of seemingly an orderly life. Complete disturbance. The tohu vavohu, from from the cant from in the Bible you have the chaos becoming order he is disordering their lives to the point that they are beginning to realize something is going on.
0: So let's talk about Judah's role in that. If we are looking since we've talked about Tamar and how that episode is a turning point for Judah. Yeah. What is his character? How do we see his character change after the Tamar story when Joseph is putting his brothers into prison?
1: You know, I would hate in the in the words of uh, Roosevelt to throw a perfect crisis to the garbage. You know, let's just mention Tamar because she deserves so much credit that we don't give her. So it's just let's let's just do that. If, if it's OK with you, and we'll come back to 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 Judah. Tamar. It's interesting. The Bible, the Torah, does not in any way think that she did anything wrong. We do. We keep asking in the Bible study this question. So, since the Tamar did this thing, how can we explain her this wrongdoing? The Bible says... The Bible is completely silent about this, and the Bible does not point the finger where we point the finger. We point the finger at Tamar. The Bible points a finger at Judah. He is the one that's uh, that that is going against God, not Tamar. Tamar is getting actually rewarded by pregnancy that she sought for so many years to be able to actually find part in Judah's family. I mean, and who is the kid? In Hebrew, it's Paratz, it's the one who is breaking through. Then is is Peretz, Peretz is a grandfather of King David, isn't it? Uh,
0: great. He is great
1: grandfather. The... Yeah. Right? Great grandfather. So I mean, look, how much more privileged of a confirmation <laughs> could you get? It's a beautiful, beautiful thing, I think. Anyway, that's one of my favorites. So back to Judah. And now you asked the question.
0: Judah, how do we see a change in Judah's character? So yeah. especially once we have Joseph being quite calculating and creating a disturbance and putting his brother in prison,
1: Well, what is, is it that we see
0: about how this, different Judah has yeah. become? Since the following answer took a bit of time, I am going to leave you in suspense until next week. This gives you a chance to go and read the stories and try to figure out for yourself how Judah's character changes from before Genesis 38 to after Genesis 38. But I will leave you with one more short conversation about a detail I only recently realized. I want to ask about another female in the story because I am very curious if she shows up in other Jewish literature that I'm not familiar with. So this would be Asenath, uh, the wife of Joseph. So once he's given an elevated position, Pharaoh then also works out this marriage arrangement for Joseph. And We don't talk, at least in any of the faith communities I've belonged to, we don't ever talk about Joseph and the kids that he has being half Egyptian from Asenath. Are there within Jewish literature, is there any way that people look at her and interpret her or talk about her? Or is she truly just forgotten in literature?
1: Look, I mean, she's definitely not forgotten. But I also want to give an example for other students to be able to say, I don't know much about it. I do know that there that th- there is a book about it. Whether or not it has any ancient attestation, I, d- I won't be able to shooting from the hip to tell you about this.
0: Thank you for going on the journey with us through the story of Joseph, or should I say the story of Jacob's kids. Next week, I'll see if I can get a straight answer out of Dr. Ellie about the transformation in Judah's character. We will also be talking about dreams and Potiphar's wife and a few other random details. If you have started listening to this podcast fairly recently, don't forget that you have full access to any of our past episodes on the IBC website or on any of the podcast hosts, like Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. If you like or follow this podcast, you won't miss out on future episodes. You can sign up for Dr. Ellie's course or dive into any of the other great courses we have for a very small monthly subscription. Use the link in the show notes. Thank you to Jeremy McDonald with Mason Jar Music for mixing, editing, and crafting all the good sounds you hear. And thank you for being curious about the world of the Bible